I usually kind of start at around the age of four. Um, I remember a time that actually Jesus brought to my attention during my healing uh, at a time when I kind of went through some rejection of my, uh, from my father. Uh, it was a night that I got scared in my bed and I ran into their room and uh, uh, asked him if I could sleep with him and, uh, and my mom and he got angry at that point and, and said, you know, get out of here you little sissy and go back to bed. And that's been something that's kind of stuck in my mind uh, because it was kind of one of those things that kind of began the rejection of my dad uh, as a kind of scary person. And uh, I think at that point I also leaned in more towards my mom and she was okay with that because she had come from a past where she really wanted her kids to be close to her and so she drew us in very closely. And uh, so I over-identified with her at a very early age and, and really pretty much rejected my dad at a pretty early age because of his, his anger that night. Um, it happened other times as well, but that's the thing that stands out the most. Another milestone that I think is really important to talk about is being saved at the age of eight. I uh, went down to the front at our little Baptist church there and uh, asked Jesus into my heart and it kind of has come to my attention now uh, that that was a moment in my life that Jesus knew I would need him for the next 20 years or so because uh, everything began to happen around, the, around my, the age of nine or 10 shortly thereafter. At the age of about 10, uh, I found uh, some pornography in my dad's sock drawer and uh, I pretty much attribute pornography to where everything began to lead at that point. Uh, I kind of look at it as the perfect storm. I had uh, some rejection from my dad. I had some difficulty uh, separating from my mom. And then here came all the pornography that kind of entered uh, my life at the, around the age of 10. It was almost a regular occurrence. I mean, every day I would find time to go grab a magazine here, or grab a magazine there. Started out with uh, Playboys, uh, that's all my dad had, and then it ended up heading into uh, ultimately finding a Playgirl in, my, in the sock drawer as well. And it wasn't really an arousal thing at that point, I don't think, but it was more of a comparison thing at that point. I began to look at those images and think, man, I'm never going to look like that. And what little 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy by this time, what, who could, you know, he couldn't look that way. But I would compare myself to them and think, well, nothing's ever going to be quite the same. I'm not going to ever look like that. I'm falling short somehow. Through that whole time period, what began to happen then is just an ongoing interaction with this porn, and ultimately masturbation entered my life, and at that point, it was I was hooked. Uh, that was a daily occurrence, and uh, I was had friends at school, but because of my mom's uh, close connection to me, um, she preferred that I not get dirty or that I not get hurt, and so sports was a hard thing to play, and so I didn't have a lot of male friends. And as a lot of guys have said in the past who struggle with same-sex attraction, uh, I pretty much found myself with only female friends and um, kind of leaned into that and began realizing that somehow, at least in my opinion, that's when I determined that I wasn't fitting in as a boy. I wasn't quite sure what I was. I don't ever think I ever thought I should have been a girl, but I just knew that I couldn't measure up 
to the other kids on the, the boys on the playground, and I couldn't measure up to being certainly those images in that Playgirl magazine that I found. And so ultimately, I just kind of felt different. I think that was the word that always came to my mind, was different. That activity lasted, just the porn and the masturbation and feeling different lasted probably a good three more years uh, around the age of 16 when the uh, fourth piece of my perfect storm kind of entered the picture. I had started a job at the local mall there in the town I grew up in and uh, had gotten off work one afternoon and was walking through this large department store heading out to my car and uh, had to run in to use the restroom real quick and found that this was a pickup spot for uh, men who wanted to interact in, in homosexual sex. I didn't know that. I just happened to walk in and use the restroom, and a guy attempted to touch me. And before I knew it, uh, I just freaked out and ran out of there. Uh, but I got home, and the seed had been planted that why would he do that to me? There is something different about me. Why would he think he could even do that? So a few weeks went by, and uh, shortly thereafter, I went in again, and unfortunately, there was someone else there that day as well, and that time I allowed him to, to do some sexual activity with me, and then before I knew it, that was almost a weekly occurrence, sometimes daily occurrence as well. And it kind of opened up a whole new world for me. Uh, I had gone from porn to masturbation and now to going in and having anonymous sex with men in this restroom at the age of 16. And it kind of opened this door that I didn't know how to shut then. And I didn't know how to talk to my parents. Uh, my parents came from a really small farming community. And so uh, I knew that activity, especially sexual activity with men, I'd already been told not to have sex before I got married, uh, which I've fully agreed to, but I didn't know how to actually bring this particular piece of my, of my adolescence up, and so I just chose not to. Uh, that was another piece of the perfect storm. Uh, we just didn't talk about sex in our home. You add all of that stuff up and you find a pretty confused kid, and uh, I was confused, but sex was something that I had turned to. Uh, at one point I realized it was kind of my best friend. At this point, around the age of probably 16, I was very much a performer. Uh, perfectionism had been something that had been really instilled in us as a kid, as I was a kid, and um, I realized that, you know, as long as I could be good on the outside, I was hoping God would feel okay about me. Uh, I struggled with that and trying to figure out, okay, God, you know, I want you to take this away from me, the old prayer about, you know, please take this away, and when it didn't get taken away, I oftentimes wondered, well, I, he must not be listening or, uh, you know, there's something I'm doing wrong. Um, but the big blow came a few years later when I had entered college and this thing had gotten full-blown out of control and I was having sex now not only in public restrooms but picking up guys in public restrooms and going to their, you know, off-campus off locations and doing sexual stuff and just driving home one night and saying, I don't know what to do with this. I then went to a Christian counselor at that point, someone who had been referred to me just because I had told you know, somebody at my church that I really needed to talk to somebody. And I went to this Christian counselor and um, told him the whole story. And he basically just uh, slid the Bible in front of me and pointed out the, a verse in the Bible that said that you know, neither drunkards nor idolaters nor fornicators or homosexuals will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, read more about this and pray over this verse and it should go away. And it lasted about 30 minutes was our session. And then I went home thinking, okay, God, not sure where you're at in this one because 
uh, I've done that before. I knew about that verse already, but I didn't know how, what to do next because it certainly hadn't taken anything away. I didn't think that I was gay. I knew that I struggled. I knew that it was wrong, and I knew that God did not want that for me, but I didn't know how to stop it, but I also never chose to fully say, well, I'm gay, and this is who I am, and everybody's going to have to accept that. Shortly thereafter, as he began talking to me about getting involved in other things, I entered into uh, a campus activity there called Young Life and uh, kind of began getting involved with them. And, and it's uh, kind of a disciple, discipleship program. And it was really a great thing. It helped me to get to, to know other males and began working with them and talking with them and having some friendship there. Uh, and it began to kind of break me out of the shell of just being isolated and stuck in, in this sexual addiction, as I call it, of not knowing what to do with it, and began realizing that there's more out there than just, you know, going to school, going to work, and doing my, my stuff. At some point during that time in Young Life, I also met a girl there at Young Life, and uh, knowing that that was what I wanted to do next was get married. I knew that was next on the list. Uh, she and I began dating, and uh, I ultimately, about a year into our relationship, told her the whole story. And uh, she was kind of from this uh, place in her life where she felt like, well, you know, God's put us together, and so I'm going to help you, and I'm going to help free you from this, and we're going to work through this. And um, I look back now, and I realize that I used a lot of my own, my own need for someone to feel sorry for me in telling my story. I, I used a lot of that to make her feel sorry for me. And so she began to almost join the crusade to help me be an overcomer instead of keep falling into this thing. And uh, it was helpful. Uh, and we, you know, as naive as we both were at that time, we ended up getting married. And uh, uh, that lasted a good six months before I started kind of going to public restrooms again and thinking, well, you know, as long as she doesn't know everything, you know, I don't know how to stop this, but I'll, I won't tell her. And I, I would get to feeling guilty, and I'd tell her a few things here and there, and then I'd go, you know, we'd cry, and then I'd say I'm never going to do it again, and then it'd last for, you know, another good five or six months, and then we'd, uh, I'd go out and do something again, and then I'd tell her again, and, and it began to wear on us, as, as you can imagine. Our marriage began to, to have real issues, and then before I knew it, I decided I'm just not going to do it anymore. I just won't tell her anymore. I should say I had never said I won't do, you know, the anonymous sex anymore. I just determined I won't tell her anymore. And ultimately what that did is just leave a lot of secrets. Uh, I was ultimately arrested one night uh, for being in a public restroom, spent a night in jail. We decided that uh, maybe getting pregnant would help if we had a child. And so maybe that would be the thing that would motivate me. My relationship with God at that point was just confusing, I think. Uh, I knew I would beg him at times to take all of this away. I knew there were times that I hated him. I even said so. Told him many times how much I hated his guts and how he had not come through for me and how I didn't know what else to do. But I kept all that hidden because it was better for me to look good on the outside than not know what to do with what was going on on the inside. I continued to try my best at doing well and performing well. Uh, I had gone to other counselors along the way. 
Uh, I think it's important to mention that because some of those counselors gave me great help in helping me know who I was in Christ. That was the most helpful thing, is helping me find my identity in Christ. There were times when people would, some of these counselors would tell me that, um, you know, I just needed to imagine myself as a male or imagine myself in certain situations being masculine, and that didn't help at all. Um, ended up, after all, I started going to this Bible study, what was the, one of the most healing things for me and where I think the turning point started was when a man at this Bible study, as God was kind of tapping me on the shoulder and telling me, you need to tell them what you struggle with. Uh, this man, when I did finally tell them, he kind of just looked up at me and said, you know, Lee, uh, God can love me in my sin and I can love you in your sin and you're welcome here, and we will help you, and we will love you no matter what. Then one night, God talked to me as I was driving home, saying, you really need to tell your wife everything now. You need to tell her everything you've done and everything that you've participated in since you've been married. And so I went home that night, and I told her everything. Well, that had been about a nine-year marriage at that point, and my wife at that point decided she couldn't do it anymore. And so she packed everything up that night, and she packed up our little one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and she moved. She left and, and went to another city. I had about a year there to just try to figure out what to do next. And I kept going to this Bible study, and they kept just encouraging me and praying for me. And I found out later some of those guys wanted to punch me in the face that night. Uh, I found out later that one of the guys that wanted to punch me the, the most <laughs> said, you really helped me over that next year because you helped me to see that, you know, my, I think he'd been having an affair with his secretary for five years. And he said, I went home and told my wife after the end of that year. So you telling your story helped me realize my own sin. Shortly thereafter, I uh, walked in and realized that my wife had, had moved on, or and my now ex-wife had, had moved on. And that kind of sent me reeling, and I realized at that time that uh, my healing had been based upon making everything perfect, getting back together with my perfect family and having everything in order and, and getting healing in my marriage. And when it didn't come, I got mad, <laughs> and I hated God again. And so I went through a period of time, about three years, where I just basically said, I hate you, God, and I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, I will continue to take my daughter to church because I want her to be in a church, but I don't really know who you are. I don't even know that I trust you. And as a matter of fact, I was visiting a church one night and the lady came up to me and said, God wants me to tell you, you don't really trust him. Uh, well, I got mad at her too and went into more homosexual acting out and actually got into a relationship with a man for those three years. Uh, and. Uh, it was just by the grace of God that uh, one night I was sitting in my sister's living room and uh, just praying and kind of talking to God and I was reading the book, um, uh, the Left Behind series. And uh, I, I give that credit because that's where it kind of began my turnaround. Uh, not that I really thought I was gonna be left behind, but I did believe that you know I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. Uh, and I began praying that night uh, I finished that book in a couple of nights, and then the next night I read The Prayer of Jabez. And so I gave that book credit for my healing as well. I knew that night that I didn't want to get hurt anymore, and I didn't want to hurt anybody else. That's the basic foundation of that prayer, and that I also 
wanted God to enlarge whatever territory he wanted to enlarge in my life, but that I didn't want to keep living this way. I didn't know how to stop it, but I knew I didn't want to keep living that way. And I did hear God speak to me that night, and he said to me, are you sure that you want freedom? He did speak to me, and he told me it was going to be hard. And he said, it's a hard journey. He said, you've got a lot of things wrapped around who you think you are, and you've got a lot of things that you're going to have to break free from. But if you're willing, I will give you unspeakable joy, and I will give you love that you've never known before. As sin would have it, I decided that night that I was going to act out one last time and do it really great and do whatever I wanted and have sex with anybody or however many people I wanted to have sex with that night. And I'd start tomorrow, I promise God. And I got online and uh, went to a chat room to try to meet up with somebody, not the guy I was with, but somebody else, and because I wanted some, something new. And uh, chatted with a guy for a while, and he gave me his number and said, call me. And lo and behold, it was the number for the guy that I had been with for three years. <laughs> so I realized he had been out looking for sex uh, anonymously as well as I was gone. So. That was just God to me. That was just his confirmation to me that, oh wow, you know, he's showing me pretty loud and clear that Lee, it's time to stop. I was in groups several nights of the week. Uh, I worked uh, a lot of different Bible studies. Uh, I wanted to stay busy. I didn't want to fall. I did not want to get back into sin. Uh, so I kept myself busy. Uh, and that's, I think, for most, at least for me, it was a great help because it kept me from being uh, bored. It kept me from being lonely. And uh, again, one of the most healing times was when I showed up at an all-men's Bible study again, and God told me again, you know, you need to tell these men what you struggle with. And I said, I don't want to because they don't struggle with what I struggle with, and they're just going to not want to know me after this. And he said, no, you need to tell and so once again, after about three taps on the shoulder over the next three weeks, I told him again, and this elder at my church looked at me and again, out of love said, you know, I love you just the way you are, Lee, and God loves you, and we're going to help you. And it was amazing because uh, the level of prayer time in that Bible study went from surface, praying for, you know, Grand Aunt Susie's hangnail or, you know, <laughs> Uncle Joe's heart condition to, you know, pray for my marriage or pray for me, I hit my wife. Or, you know, just amazing what I began to see as I began to share the junk in my life, other people's junk started coming to the table. And uh, I also uh, was working at a local rape crisis center at the time. And I met someone there that uh, began to, as I was working with her through her healing, uh, she began to show me just real pain and real hurt. And I just began to see that there was just, um, there's something different. And it was amazing as I began to have to pour my life into this person and pour and stop being so self-centered about my own healing and begin helping someone else to heal. God began to show me that, you know, when you love others, when you show them unconditional love, you find unconditional love. It was about seven years later uh, that uh, I ended up marrying that woman. Jesus has been so wonderful to me in that he has met me personally in trying to show me how much he loves me. 
The other place was being able to tell other men what I struggled with who didn't have the same struggle. And I had gone to a lot of the same-sex groups. Uh, I had been to groups where guys went to try to stop this thing, and they were great support, and it was nice having the friendship. But nothing changed me like going to a group of men and saying, I don't know how you're going to take me, but i got to tell you what I do. I have sex with other men, and I don't know how to stop it. And to have them look me in the eye and say, you know what, we don't understand it. It may make us mad, but we love you just where you're at, and we want to keep helping. It was such a healing thing for me, because what it began to show me is I'm not so weird after all. One of the biggest lies that Satan told me all the time was that, Lee, you're different. You're never going to be a real man. And so I would show up at like men's breakfasts and... I would see all these men and I'd shrink down to this little eight or nine year old kid and wearing my dad's clothes. That's what it felt like. And God would keep reminding me during that time that you're just like them. You don't know it, you may not believe it, but you're just like them. Be who you are. Another huge healing moment was I went on a men's retreat where we went hiking up through West Texas and uh, we were sitting out by a campfire and this elder that uh, I talk about a lot. He had become really one of my closest friends. And, and um, you know, he leaned over. We were sitting at the campfire, and he kissed me on the cheek. And my first reaction was, whoa, you know, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> I'd been down that road. But he had tears in his eyes, and he just looked at me and said, Lee, I just want you to know that two men can love each other, and it can be okay. And he just gave me a big hug. And I began at that point realizing that, you know what, it is okay to love men, to be in loving relationship with them, that God never intended it to be sexual. And I had stopped really hugging men because it would cause arousal at times before I'd started the deepest parts of my healing. And God said, don't worry about it. All you've known is sex, so it may happen occasionally, but it'll stop. And it began to stop. As I began to love them, as I began to give more of myself to them, as I began to heal, then I began to see that God's love heals, and it did heal. And as I began to work with my now wife, I began to see that love there was unconditional, that, you know, that there wasn't this performance love. I think one of the things that is so deeply rooted in this sin is conditional love. And sometimes by accident, other people perpetuate that because so much of the church sometimes preaches the law and conditional. And God is unconditional and his love is always unconditional. And that's what freed me.